Hello and welcome to the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure. Enjoy life a little bit more. Don't put all this stress on yourself. And getting the right grades may make life a bit easier. But it's not the end of the world. It's not the be all and end all. Today, I'm talking to Fiona Riley, Managing Director of Fire Energy and a Strategic Advisory Board Member of the Nuclear Industry Association and a non exec director of Ansaldo Nuclear. Fiona lives in Weybridge. Welcome, Fiona, and thank you for joining me. Thanks, Andrew. (laughs) So, um, Fiona, you grew up in a village called Reed in the Ribble Valley. It must have been absolutely beautiful. You went to school in Burnley, and I know you grew up with three older brothers to compete with. So tell me what what life was like in those early years and what were you like at school? I love Reed. I love the Ribble Valley. I, I love how beautiful it is. And um, one of my fondest memories is going for walks with my dad around the fields. Um, they were also my escape. So when things weren't necessarily happy at home, I'd go wandering off across the fields, which used to upset my mum because I was a young girl off on my own, whereas my dad always knew where he could find me and where I'd go and what I'd do. But we used to go down to a little brook and play, play poo sticks and chats. And... So, so what about school? What were the sort of uh, uh, subjects and things that seemed to fit you at school? What, what did you enjoy doing? I loved junior school, despite going to a Catholic convent school run by nuns. And I was very, very happy at junior school, top of the class, very much the, please, miss, can I answer the question? Please, 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 please. Used to love maths at junior school, would get ahead of the class. And thankfully the nuns were very good at saying, okay, you finish that bit, we'll give you the next bit. And then we'll give you the next piece of work and we'll give you the next piece of work. Um, So I found that time very special. The challenge came when I went to high school where It was a very different view of life, which was you can't get ahead of your classmates. You've got to wait for them to catch up. So, for example, in maths, I sat there probably three years going, what can I do? Bored. And unfortunately, in getting bored, I got bored with school and fell out of love with learning and all the things that I found so joyous as a a younger, younger girl. I mean, we can never take this time back, probably didn't do as well as school as I've possibly could have done and it was only when I went to university that I found that joy of learning again and I remember one of my lecturers at university saying you should be a lecturer you love this and you're just so engrossed in this and you you can tell you're enjoying it that's really important and I don't know how I'd change it um but that is one of my regrets that I've lost that love of learning for a few years you did your first degree in law in London. What was it about law that attracted you? When I was eight years old, I was asked what I wanted to be. And unfortunately, I said I wanted to go soliciting, um, to which my father went, she doesn't mean that, for whatever reason, whether it was LA law on the TV or whatever, I decided at the age of eight, I wanted to be a lawyer. 
and I stuck to it. And one of the things I had when I was younger was a dogged determination to do what I said I was going to do. And I've outgrown that in some ways. So it's, it sounds as if you were enjoying the law down in London, if that's what your lecturer was telling you. You seemed so engrossed in it. Was that, that the case? Was it all, all that you imagined it to be? Um, parts of it. I loved, um, I mean, the, the challenge with law is there are certain areas you, you'd have to do as part of your degree to tick the box. I hated criminal law lectures at nine o'clock on a Monday morning. But I loved jurisprudence and the philosophy of it all and the, that side of things. So um, my dissertation for my bachelor's degree was on uh, liberalist philosophy and modern slavery and women's position in modern slavery. So it really was that pushing to really understand and challenge difficult areas, I guess, that drew you. Yeah, I love a challenge. So how, how do you think you grew up in that, that first degree in London? Yeah, I think it was a lot of independence and a lot of you know, learning about yourself and learning what works and what doesn't work and having some disappointments and, you know, the things that, of course, you'd change, but that's just part of growing as a person and, you, you know, everything's a learning experience and I truly believe that everything's a learning experience. Um, so yeah, I had a fun three years. I worked in the student union bar. It was funny, the, the crowd I hung out with were not the law crowd. They were from different disciplines. And when it came to my finals, I'll never forget, I went in the bar and said, could I have a vodka, an orange, which is what I drank at the time. And the bar manager said, no, I said, I, I, I'm sorry. Bearing in mind that for years he'd said, you can't have a soft drink, you can't, you know, you could drink alcohol, you're my mate, blah, blah, blah. And I said, can I have vodka and orange? And he said, no. He said, it's too early. You're the only one in our house that's got any chance of getting a 2-1. And we're all going to make you make sure you get it. So you're allowed back in here at eight o'clock. In the meantime, you can have a soft drink. And I was like, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm not. And they did. They one of one of our housemates had a big birthday during my finals. I wasn't allowed to go. They banned me. Um, the bar manager was banned from the house because he'd come in at all hours of day and night. So the others said no for the time during the finals. You, you're out. Um, so bless them. They, they, they determined that I was going to be the one that got my 2-1. And I did. And you did. Well, thanks to them. What great friends looking back, but I didn't, but it didn't feel like that at the time. <laughs> so from there, you, you went to law school in Chester, then you did a master's at Manchester, which included international business, trade and tax. Um, and then you qualified as a lawyer in Lancashire. So we'll sort of fast forward a little bit to the point where you joined Alstom as their company solicitor and commercial counsel. I'd always wanted to be a commercial solicitor and I knew that because of, you know, not excelling at school and perhaps the way I could have done in a different life, it was a harder path because I had to kind of get my way back to where I would why otherwise have been. I'd been for a series of interviews at Alstom, asked a lot of questions, you know, how do you deal with contracts with very large numbers that I'd never come across in my life before and what do I do? And, and, and I joined a really, really fun team with a group of people I'm still in contact with. And 
the director I work for and the assistant director, the assistant director particularly is still a friend who I speak to a lot. And um, yeah, but that first day was a big, scary sight. Again, moving away from an environment I knew to a city I didn't know. They put me up in a pub to give me a few weeks to, to find my feet and to find somewhere to live. And while I was in the pub, my car got stolen and so I had all that to deal with. And it was just this, this is a new life again and how do I sort this out? But I've got some hugely fond memories of it. So you then moved to Norton Rose Fulbright, uh, where you stayed for 15 years. So tell me what sort of prompted the move from Alstom and tell us about some of the, the little moments in your time there. Again, my boss at Alstom was brilliant in some ways in that he, he said, right, rather than appointing a law firm to deal with big disputes, let's try and do them internally, which was great for me because I was running these multi-million pound disputes internally and we hired a load of paralegals and people to help and all the rest of it and had some great fun. But I did get to the point of saying, am I doing this right? Because nobody was supervising me. Nobody was checking what I was doing, really. It was me doing it. And to be fair, he got an external law firm to audit my work on one of the cases to give me some more confidence. And they said, it's fine, <laughs> she's not doing anything wrong. Um, but I just felt that I was missing out on that learning experience and having that guidance and taking me to the next level. So um, I looked and ended up at Norton Rose as they were at the time in a great team, which was the construction team. And we did disputes and um, non-contentious work. And again, worked with people who are still friends today. But again, going to Norton Rose was so different working for an engineering company. And in what way was it different? A lot more formal, a lot more structured, a lot more. We don't care what you've been doing at Alstom, you're two years qualified, and therefore you should be able to do this, and you need to work about think about doing this. And I really struggled for a few months. And I found it, I don't know whether this is true of all law firms, I found it very cakey. I found it really hard to break through some of those groups of people who were established. I think not training at a law firm, because speaking to mates who trained there, it's very different coming in later in your career. And particularly with a very different background, it was very challenging. And thankfully uh peter reese kind of took me under his wing and helped me through some of that and i i then ended up dealing with this nuclear dispute for for five years which was something i knew and they didn't know as well because it was nuclear um and so that and working for a client who again was a great client and we had a great time um Spent a lot of time up in Newcastle or on the train up to Newcastle with a group of people to take witness statements and do this and do that. And um, yeah, I made a lot of mates at the client as well, which was, which was probably needed because we were working ridiculous hours. I mean, ridiculous hours, all nighters, seven days a week, trying to get through stuff and try and sort the case out. But yeah. There are those all consuming moments, aren't there, where you just have to do it. And it's, it, you have to draw on all your resources to, to be able to get through those moments. 
Yeah. Um, talking to friends who are at law firms now, they're not sure that it would happen in quite the same way because we got through it by, you know, being in a hotel in Newcastle and ordering pizza and some wine and cracking on with things and again having a laugh and those days seem to have gone a little bit which is a shame because I think you do when you're working so hard and for so long you do need people around you to support you and help you and help you through those times. Well you sort of those sort of moments I know they they kind of strip away all the pretense somehow don't they because you are all kind of on the edge and your energy levels are low and the adrenaline's high um and you have to work through difficult stuff and it's not always easy to do that in a sort of formal you know let me write down three points and discuss them with you way because you haven't got the time, you haven't got the energy and, and you have to find a way through it. So it actually brings teams together, doesn't it? In, in a different sort of way, I suppose. Yeah. And that, that, you know, there were people who just never quite fit in. So didn't stay on that team very, very long. I remember um, one person saying that to do this, I need you to download that's everything that's in your brain about this case. And it's like, this case is so complicated and so big that's an impossibility, you know, and the point is that there's delegated to different people, different parts of it. So yes, I've got the oversight, but I don't know the detail of what's in what X is doing. I've just got to trust they're doing it because I can't, I physically can't, you know, there's too much to do anyway. Um, one of the, one of the advantages was at Alstom they taught me about project management and using Gantt charts and and being organized and and that's the way we ran that case because it was so large and all-encompassing that we produced a Gantt chart and we set out how that fit into to different things and different parts that were on the critical path that needed to come together for us to get to where we needed to get to but it wasn't me knowing everything and 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 I couldn't quite again probably because I was exhausted I couldn't explain to this person why I just couldn't couldn't download what was in my brain and at the end of the day it's not about downloading what's in your brain it's not about trying to keep control which I think is what she thought or giving someone else control it's just I can't (laughs) I physically can't I just there's no way I would succeed in that there'd always be something that I didn't think of or and and it would take me so long to do it that it's an impossibility so that that was an interesting one so tell us about this next move um which was a big change for you into pwc what prompted the move and what what did you sort of learn about yourself and why were you doing that i was looking to move um norton rose had changed over the years become much bigger it was for all its challenges, and it's probably true to say, I never felt I fully fit in. I think there's always that part of me that didn't. Um, it had become a lot less collegiate, a lot less and much more trying to, you know, they were growing, they were changing the strategy, uh, some of which I didn't believe was for the best. Um, and I was looking to move around, move. And Richard heard that I was looking through people in the nuclear industry speaking to his team 
and we'd known each other for a few years and he said do you fancy coming in here um you can't be a solicitor because we're not a multidisciplinary partnership the law firm is separate within pwc at that time it's changed since because the the rules have changed um but you could join our we we had a number of discussions over a few months. I met lots of different people within PwC. And Richard kind of carved out a job for me, which was very kind. And um, so I had this mixed role heading up nuclear for capital projects and infrastructure globally, which had headed up capital projects globally. Um, but also being somebody within the London team who looked at energy and regulation I'm very much on the deal side not the consulting side um which is where Richard sat it was it was one of those why not you know it's a great opportunity it's a once in a lifetime opportunity and that somebody's saying we'll create a job for you and particularly within an organization like that hugely well respected I knew I was going to learn things I also knew that a lot of what I really started to enjoy with law was that how do you structure projects? How do you take a blank piece of paper? How can you make a difference? How do you look at things differently? Which lawyers used to do and they do less of these days because I think the accounting and other firms have kind of taken that a little bit more. I think it's a, it's a great shame because I, I do believe lawyers can add to that early stage development well but it just shifted, the market had shifted. So it gave me the opportunity to go and do something a bit different, but within a comfort zone of nuclear and the nuclear world I knew and the energy world I knew. Um, and there was also a bit of me that thought, I can always go back, not to Norton Rose. Well, like potentially, I don't know, but I could always go back to law. It wasn't, you know, you give up your practicing certificate, you can get it back. It's not that you're throwing everything away. So I said yes, and um, very glad I did. Presumably, you, you had that sort of basis of um, experience to build on. What were some of the new things where you had to kind of step outside your comfort zone a bit and think, crikey, how am I going to handle this project or this opportunity and things? Were there any examples of that? <sighs> there were lots. <laughs> <laughs> PwC has lots of different parts to it. And with an organization like that, and it's true for all the big, big firms, and I think it will become more true for firms as they move forward, because I think we're going to end up with bigger and bigger firms where law firms and accounting firms are multidisciplinary partnerships much more. But with that comes conflict, because you have different people who are dealing with similar issues, but from a slightly different perspective. I've always found it interesting and also challenging, kind of working out how people think and what their thinking preferences are and how they articulate things because I was finding that we were talking past each other a lot because of different perspectives different backgrounds um, within the deals team itself you know I was going from somewhere where I've been doing legal documents and the law side of things to people who are dealing with finance so even simple things like they'd use shorthand terms or uh, I'll be like what 
what? I don't understand. And they look at me as if I was an idiot because I didn't know the town. And I was like, look guys, this is not my background. <laughs> this is not what I've traditionally done. So just give me, like, help me a bit. Yeah. And also yeah, I was, I was going in trying to create a new role and a new situation and trying to take it forward. And that takes time and takes energy. But I also knew that Richard and I had talked about it in terms of what that progression could look like because I didn't go in as a partner because I was moving to a different discipline and how that could change. And um, so, yeah, there were lots and lots of challenges, but also I learned a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's always good to stretch yourself, you know, and and try new things. But I think when you're also when you're surrounded by people who can help you, even if it's understanding the acronyms and stuff, you know, (laughs) just so you you learn the common language that everyone else uses and the shorthand, it's really important. But it sounds like that move sort of led to all sorts of other opportunities. I mean, you've been involved with the IAEA, you've been involved with the Generation 4 International Forum since. You've been involved with Bayes and you chaired the Expert Finance Working Group. You've got involved with the Nuclear Industry Association. And so just looking at your, your sort of progression, you were always involved in a lot of things, but that move seemed to open up all sorts of things, but always focused in nuclear. So I'm sort of interested, what's your, your, what keeps you hooked into nuclear and your passion and your sort of, that's the one thing that sort of, remained isn't it it is I've done lots of other energy projects which always shocks people you know I've worked on gas I went to run a energy development company under a family private office which had nothing to do with nuclear I love the nuclear industry and I think it's vitally important that it's part of sustainable energy low carbon power low carbon firm power and how it fits with other low carbon technologies and there's also a great bunch of people in the nuclear industry. You know, the nuclear industry dinner is one of the highlights of the year where you see people, and I think we've all done it, you walk between the, God knows how many tables there are these days, and it's like, hey, me, come and have a drink, come and do this. Come and... and people want to make it work. There are some frustrations with the industry, clearly. Um, and I do think, you know, bringing in experiences from other industries is important, but it's it's a great industry and it's great technology and it's something that we need in the world and we need more of in the world. And I think there's a lack of understanding around nuclear and there's a fear sometimes that's, I'd say is irrational because I've spent so much time involved in it, but to people who don't understand it, it's, it's that lack of understanding. We need to We need to educate people and we need to speaking language that people understand so going back to the pwc example of explain it to people like they're an eight-year-old explain it to people at really you know level that is understandable easy to articulate and allows people to get involved in the debate and involved in the conversation i think we're two one the industry is likes to think of itself as special and unfortunately i don't which some people don't agree with um you know i i know we've got to have nuclear regulations and but so is the oil and gas industry so you know the oil and gas industries have more accidents than nuclear industry it we need to explain these things and we need to explain that we're probably one of the best industries in the world at dealing with health and safety and making sure things are managed well and managed properly 
but we sometimes get too involved in oh no it's special and it, it's got to have special rules and special regulations and this and that and the other I mean, to be honest it doesn't it needs some parameters but a lot of it is common to other industries and I can't quite let go of wanting to solve some of these issues and solve some of the issues around how we get private financing to nuclear how we get more countries to see that it's part of the low carbon economy how do we move some of these issues forward how do we show that you know we deal with waste better than many other industries rather than waste is this big issue yeah it's an issue but it's an issue in renewables as well it's an issue in wind farms it's an issue in solar farms why is all the focus on the nuclear industry i think and i'm doing um I'm working on a paper for the GIF at the moment where we've got a bunch of financiers together to look at ESG and trying to create a level playing field because unfortunately the way that green sustainable finance has gone has allowed people to exclude nuclear easily rather than assessing it on the same level with everything every other energy project. So I think it's it's those challenges and wanting to make a difference and wanting to see the nuclear industry move forward that probably keeps me tied in <laughs> well we're enormously grateful to you because i think you know you you couldn't have a course or a planned career route that would give you your insight and your experience it's only because you've sort of stepped outside of, of a sort of traditional route if you like that means you can have the impact you can in the industry so you know those sort of phone calls which which sort of say you know we we want what what you can offer us at pwc and we'll create something that's that's shaped like you is so important for people to respond positively to those things because you bring that different perspective that actually the industry doesn't have on its own and and it also means that you can be you and bring your your skills your experience and your passion and motivation to make a difference in the sector yes it does it's very confusing for people though people like to put people in boxes either you know looking at non-exec positions i've had recruiters recently say to me but which box do i put you in uh, i'm sorry well i need to put you in boxes and particularly more these days because we put you know criteria into search engines and we need to make sure that your name pops up for the right job. So I need to put you in a box and I hate being put in a box and I don't want to be put in a box. Um, and so the, the, the roles I get tend to be more through word of mouth and on the back of, excuse me, back of my reputation rather than um, on the back of a CV because people still want to try and put me into that box. No, you should. You shouldn't have to. I was. <laughs> I always think that you know. Ultimately, you know, any sort of career path, you want people to play to what they're good at and play to what they're passionate about. And if you find those that sweet spot, you know, the job that you end up doing will be shaped around you, not necessarily you forcing yourself into a box or into the shape of a job. And that means playing to your strengths, working with other people who can fill your weaknesses, being passionate and, and, and getting energy from your job, not it draining you and all those sorts of things. And, and ultimately, you know, there's, there's no series of boxes that can, 
can describe the whole of the human race, let alone Fiona Riley, you know. <laughs> so I think it's brilliant you resist that. So I'm going to take you back to um, the younger Fiona. And I'm just thinking of you perhaps in your secondary school where things, you know, were going a bit, bit uh, not in the direction perhaps your teachers would have liked. Um, and before you went off to university, what, what do you think would be your advice if you could whisper some good advice into her ear, what would it be? This time will not define you, I think would be the biggest thing. You know, we all go through school and we think it's all, you know, your exams are the most important thing in the world. And if you fail, failure is the worst thing that can happen to you. I no longer believe that failure is the worst thing that can happen to you because failure brings growth and brings choices and brings decisions. So I, I think I would say to myself, enjoy life a little bit more. Don't put all this stress on yourself. And getting the right grades may make life a bit easier, but it's not the end of the world. It's not the be all and end all. And some of my best choices in life since have been when I've thrown everything up in the air and said, yep, yeah, okay, I'll give it a go. Fine. Why not? It was uncomfortable. It was going to do something that I wasn't meant to be a solicitor. I couldn't define myself as a solicitor. And it, even today when people say introduce yourself at a conference, I can't go, um, well, uh, whereas it, would, it used to be really easy. I'm a solicitor advocate and I do this. But it has given me so many opportunities and so many chances and so many different things I can now do and get involved in. And people, as you say, people want that wealth of expertise rather than that singular career path that would have, hey, yes, I could probably have gone to another law firm and done some of what I'd done before, but I don't think I'd ever have been happy doing it which is bizarre to my eight-year-old self who only wanted to be a solicitor and that was the end of the world. I just, I just don't. And I love, you know, the thing I love most is sitting down with a blank piece of paper and saying, how do we do this differently? How do we change this? Now, I hate when colleagues in project finance say, but that's the market, that's the way you do it. I'm like, no. Why can't we change it? Why can't we shift things? Why can't we shake it up a bit? And I'm learning things in doing this myself because I've never sat within a bank or a financial institution and had to look at it from their side. But they're saying, well, in my type of institution, it works this way and in my type of institution. So it's pulling together people's experiences to try and create a solution. And it seems to me that you're sort of career journey and, and discovering of who you are has been almost like a series of breaking molds as well because none of them were shaped like Fiona and you weren't prepared to be squeezed into somebody else's mold and with the with your determination your personality and with the people around you who were supporting that you've ended up in a place where it's now shaped like you where you are but you're now looking at the mould that is part of the nuclear industry and the financing and all of that sort of stuff and saying, we need to break this mould as well. Otherwise, what's our future? So, you know, we're enormously grateful to what you're doing because we need that different perspective and that different input to how we do what we need to do for the planet and, you know, for energy and so on. So 
thank you for doing what you're doing and thank you for your time this afternoon as well it's been an absolute delight to chat to you thanks fiona thanks andrew enjoyed this podcast to help others enjoy it too please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and don't forget to rate and review thank you